Welcome to the Dealmaker Show, the number one place for entrepreneurs and dealmakers to learn about leveraging and generating status, frame control, and narrative power to close big deals. Here is your host, investment banker, deal-making expert, and best-selling author of Pitch Anything and Flip the Script, Mr. Oren Claff. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Oren Claff. This is the Dealmaker Show. And generally what I try and do here is put people in front of you and in front of myself that I'm naturally interested and curious about how they got into the business they're in, how they did the deals they're in, how they got successful or unsuccessful sometimes and really made their mark in the world, there's always a different twist on how a deal was originated, how it was pitched, and then how it was closed. I mean, those are the three pieces. Originate, pitch, close. And then sometimes we meet these really interesting characters in the world. And I'm so happy to introduce you today, Ruben Gonzalez, who is a four-time Olympian. And he may be a different kind of Olympian, if you don't know him, from what you're thinking. Hey, Ruben, welcome to the Dealmaker Show. Thank you for making the time to be here. For the, you know, two people on earth who don't know your story, just give us a little background on exactly how you got to this position in life. Uh, I know you've told it a million times and in front of big audiences and we're familiar with it, but give us a little bit of background. And I have some questions for you mm. about, you know, how you, being a four-time Olympian, and some of the lows and some of the highs, and then how to translate that into modern business today. Yep. And sometimes, you know, you, you got originate, pitch, and close. And mine was uh, kind of like that when I got started doing the luge. Uh, sometimes you fall into an opportunity you didn't even know was there, right? And it works out. And so I, uh, I was born in Argentina, came to the States when I was six saw the Olympics for the first time when I was 10, I was hooked. I thought, that's what I want to do. I was drawn to the Olympians, but I'm not a great athlete. I was always the last kid picked for, for PE in school. I'm not fast. I'm not strong. I'm, I'm normal, right? Like your neighbor, Just a lot of heart. And, and, um, and so that, that was my dream. It was a pipe dream. And I didn't believe it was possible. Didn't do much. My dad got me re reading biographies. He said, study successful people. You'll figure out how to make it happen. And I kept seeing perseverance. Uh, that was uh, the common thread. And so I made a decision. And I was already hard-headed. So I thought, okay, I'll develop it into perseverance. And um, when I was 21, I'm watching the Olympics again on TV. 21. And I, it's a Sarajevo Games, 1984. I see Scott Hamilton win the gold medal. I thought, if that little guy can win, I can at least play. All of a sudden, I had the belief to go with uh, the desire. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'll be in the next ones. I just got to find a sport. And the clock's ticking because four years from the next one. Went to the library, got a book about the Olympics, look at the summer sports. And took me five minutes to realize there's no way. I mean, you got to be Superman to do any of this stuff. There's no way. Then I started looking at the list of the winter sports and the analytical side of my brain kicked in. I thought, hey, I'm about to put together a plan for the next four years. Probably would make sense to base it on my on my strength. My strength is not athleticism, but by my nickname by then was Bulldog. Kids in high school started calling me Bulldogs. I was so tenacious. So I thought I got to find a, a, a sport that's so tough. A sport's got so many broken bones in it. There'll be a lot of quitters. And that's where my perseverance can stand out. So I had it down to ski jump bobsled and luge i lived in houston texas by the time by the way and uh the ski jump forget it i never skied that would have been suicide bobsled where you're going to find three other nuts who want to do that luge you can do by yourself 
I uh, wrote Sports Illustrated a letter. I asked them, where do you go learn how to lose? They wrote back Lake Placid, New York. Called up Lake Placid. I'm an athlete here in Houston. I want to learn how to lose. I mean, the Olympics in four years. Will you help me? And the guy says, how old are you? And I said, 21. And he starts laughing. He says, forget it, man. We start them off and they're eight, nine, 10 years old. You know, at your age, you have 10, year experience, 10 years of experience. No way. Hanging up's not an option, right? If I hang up, it's all over. So I just kept talking to him, just trying to think of something. And I happened to tell him that I was born in Argentina. Here's where I, everything changed. He gets all excited. He goes, if you'll go for Argentina, we'll help you. And I said, why? A minute ago, you weren't going to help me at all. He said, the sport of luge is this close getting kicked out of the Olympics because we're not global enough. Back then, it was the U.S., Canada, and a handful of European countries. That's it. And they were always on the list, which one we're going to knock out. He said, if you go for Argentina, we'll compress 10 years of training into just two years. The next two years, we're throwing you to the wolves. You have to race against the best in the world in the World Cup circuit. And then it's like, uh, it's like Formula One. They got points. And at the end of the, you know, of, of the last two years, they tally it up. Top 50 get to go. 51 watches it on TV. So we go for Argentina. <laughs> and, it's, and he said, you know, we'll, we'll train you and you'll travel with us. And basically, they were going to teach me enough to qualify, but not enough to beat the U.S. team. And I was fine with that. I just want to be one of the guys, right? And so I went. I went to Lake Placid, and four years and a few broken bones later, I, I got to make the, the Calgary Olympics in 88, and then uh, Albertville in 92. And I quit for six years, made Salt Lake City at, at um, I was 39, and everybody started thinking I was coached by then. And then another six-year break, I made Vancouver at 47. And um, I went again in um, – uh, a couple of years ago, when I was 55, and I was sliding better than ever, uh, mentally tougher, mentally stronger, uh, listening to the coaches more, right? Trusting the coaches, taking action right away instead of doubting it and second-guessing everything they told me. And I've got a brand-new sled, and um, it's usually the last two years to qualify. I just found out that just a couple of months ago, I just found out that they're not counting last year because of COVID because it screwed up everybody's uh, training. They said there's seven races coming up this winter. If you race on those seven races, you're already tougher. You got a better sled. You got a shot. You got it. Even though it's only the top 35 in the world, you got a shot. And so I'm scrambling, trying to raise money to, to go uh, to Beijing. And I'd be 59, be the oldest ever in the Winter Olympics. I'd be uh, breaking a 97, 94-year-old record. So so I'm uh, I'm pumped. I'm I'm pumped. New new adventure on the horizon. That 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 is amazing. So you'd be would you be the oldest or I mean okay hold on a second let me collect myself. Sure. This is just a ridiculous story with so many angles and components and confusing pieces. So is this when did Cool Runnings come out? Just for cool I, I'm going to focus on popular yeah. culture. Yeah. So where when did gotcha. Cool Runnings come out? And yeah. Cool Runnings, if you're making bobsledders, that was Calgary. Okay, that was the Calgary Olympics. It was their first Olympics, my first Olympics, and Eddie the Eagles' first Olympics, only Olympics. And um, and sure, yeah, and, and I know one of the guys from Cool Runnings, one of the one of the original guys. And so that was '88. So the movie was a couple of years after that. All right, so it's it's, uh, and uh, I'm I'm having I'm speechless by this accomplishment. And so so. During the last couple of years, what you have done is, or the last couple of years, for many years, you've spoken from stage about your experiences and help people to try and slice and dice what you were able to do, how they might um, not become Olympians in the same 
way that you have, but they might take away from your experiences, adapt the process that you went through to think big, to uh, um, follow some basic steps, follow success principles, you know, that work in the military, that work in technology, that work in sports, that work in business. So you assemble those principles, you follow them, and you try and show people in your footsteps. But I, I just want to give you a little contrarian thinking that just pops into my head. Uh, in some ways, you know, we could think of you as a motivational speaker, but hearing these accomplishments put in front of me, I feel like you're almost like a loser national speaker. Like I, I feel like a loser when I have to compare the things, you know, that I've set out to do in terms of size and scope and sale scale. It's, it's, it's hard to comprehend the smallness of my life against these big accomplishments. Like, do you ever feel like you're triggering that in people? No, no. One of my goals actually is to become their Scott Hamilton, right? Because I didn't believe for the longest time, because we're all, we all tend to be experts at what we can't do, right? And so I try to, and everybody's got a, a dream somewhere, right? And I try to, you know, make them think about the possibilities. What if? What if you just went for it, you know? And, and, and I'm not talking about being an Olympian. Just go for your dream. Make your life an Olympic life, right? Uh, and mental toughness too. I, mean, I talk about you know uh, peak performance and how to how the mind works, how to get yourself to do those things, how to improve the probability, right, that you'll hit the mark. So no, um, I don't. I, but let it's go, funny. Let me go backwards. You, you mentioned loser I, I, right before my first Olympics. I'm yeah. training in Houston, in Houston, in a little gym, and in walks Evander Holyfield, right, and. Everybody started whispering real loud. That's Evander Holyfield. You know, he just he just had his little Tyson incidents. I mean, back then, and it was about 10, 10 boxers, and nobody had the guts to go up to Evander. Not me neither. And the littlest one of all, he was about Scott Hamilton size, like five foot tall guy. He must have been the flyweight. He starts warming up in a state of stationary bike. I sit next to him and I start warming up. And I knew he was a boxer, but I want to start a conversation. So what do you do? What's what's your sport? I box. What do you do? He says I'm a loser. He goes, a loser. Don't you ever call yourself a loser, man. You're a winner. You're a winner. He goes, motivational speaker. And I, everybody got off their machines and wanted to see who the loser was. I almost walked out of the gym, joined another gym. But he said, uh, he, he from that, he went into, you got to be careful. Don't call yourself a loser, right? Be, call yourself a winner. You're a champion, you know? And, and that got me to read a bunch of books about self-talk, right? Which was just starting to emerge. So it's uh, it's interesting how, um, you know, it, what you say to yourself, it's it's huge. So it is, it is, and I want to sort of dig into this because it's really interesting to me. Uh, and we're and we're right now in a hustle culture, right? So if you go on Instagram, it's you know if you hustle, if you work harder than the other guy, and you have big goals, uh, and uh, you know, and you wake up at five a.m. and you never stop and never give up. And I feel like a lot of this motivational push because it's so prevalent in digital media can get people to focus on pure energy and will and exertion of effort and not so much on uh, planning and thinking. And, uh, you know, so that works in sports and it works in military and it works in very physical environments. Right. But like the guys I work with appear uh, uh, in, in the industries that I'm in, I guess we can come back around, but pure hustle really is not enough to, make accomplishments in technology, in finance, in banking, in crypto, in cyber, in, you know, public markets, in securities. 
in ver in med tech and medical technologies in in medicine that working hard is certainly important in every aspect of life but I feel like we're pushing people so hard on just the hustle aspect of it. And then the yeah. hustle, and let me get somewhere with this, the hustle, the very nature of the hustle creates an expectation that a reward is due. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that is a lot of the risk in the, the hyper, um, the, the, the hyper exposing people to pure motivation, pure hustle, big goal setting is sets an expectation that just putting in the time and just putting in the hustle allows you to be in line for the reward. And so you went yeah, through it. Yeah, no, but that's not yeah. the whole that's not the whole recipe. Uh, you got to have a coach. You have to follow somebody that has fruit on the trees, right? Not 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 a theorist. Somebody's actually done it. And then you have to open yourself up to their to, to their advice. Uh, you know, the, the fact that I was a hard head, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? It helps you not quit. But then when, when coach is trying to tell you stuff, you're always, you know, second guessing and not opening yourself. And that makes you lose time right? and it makes you get hurt more, but, uh, but we're in constant, constant, constant. Um, uh, how can we improve? How can we be better mode? Uh, the so, typical training day in the luge. Oh, go ahead. Well, um, I, I'm there's so much I want to hear from you in the details. Also, can you get Asher out here? We have a four time. I have an athlete here in the office, and we have a four time Olympian. And I don't know why he's not sitting right there listening to this. Thank you. Yeah. God damn. So what's wrong with kids today? So, but uh, okay. Uh, um, uh, uh, well, that's part of the problem. People are not coachable. Uh, I talked to. I've got a lot of military friends. And they say people don't want to follow the leader anymore, right? Um, there's so much information on the internet that they think that all they, they need to do is watch a couple of YouTube videos and you're going to be an expert. It's a life is not a do-it-yourself project. You have to follow a champion or a leader. And um, I've got top, top coach friends, uh, you know, Olympic and professional. And they say, man, it's so hard to to find a coachable athlete these days. In the old days, you know, they they were more open to, you know, to your guidance. So I want you now to talk, want I want you to talk to an athlete. I want you to talk to an A-level athlete. He's here in the office here quickly. Can you find something for him to stand on? So he's too short to just walk up and get in front of the camera. Uh, but, but something that you said is really triggering me is being coachable because there is so much stuff on the internet. Uh, I feel like people come in and they already know so much and then when you're going back to the basics and trying to coach them on the basics, they've already been exposed to the advanced material and it's boring. Jump up here, buddy. <laughs> Ruben is a four-time Olympic athlete and he's got to want to tell you something about being coachable. This is going to be really interesting, Ruben. I know you're here. This is a, uh, hey, hey, hey. okay. All right. Wake up. This is not uh this is not a tea party here. This is a, this is a real coach. All right. This is a hockey player who just made the San Diego Gulls. He's on the A team. All right. Wonderful. And so Good his job. aspiration, this is really interesting. His aspiration now is to move. So the A team is then split into a top of the A team and a bottom of the A team. So he's on the bottom mm -hmm. of the A team. Just getting to that A team, a lot of that, what you went through, except the seven-year-old version of it. What do you gotcha. tell someone who today 
can watch the videos, watch the NHL, watch the NHL draft, literally, you know, be, be connected to these sports and know so much about the drills and what's needed and what's next and be so advanced. But really, uh, the basics sound boring. What would you tell an athlete yeah. today? Because one the right basics in front of you. Are the, yeah. And I'm a, I got to compete in four different Olympics, right? And, so, and, and I, I have tons of Olympic friends and Olympic coaches. And we all talk about this stuff all the time. And all the top athletes and all the top coaches agree that the basics, you have to be a master of the basics. You don't try to do the fancy moves and the fancy uh, shots and the fancy passes uh, because those are very low, low percentage shots. Uh, you have to get really, really, really good. In fact, I have a friend that's a like a third Dan uh, karate uh, black belt, right? Super high belt. Not just the, the one that, that everybody has. This guy's, you know, you have to do karate for about 20 years to reach his level. And he says that when you start, a punch is just a punch. You just say, ah, that's just a punch. I got it. Okay, what's the next thing, right? But then after a few years, you realize that a punch is more than a punch. It's something special. There's science, there's theory, there's all this stuff. And then after you're like a third degree black belt, you realize hey, it's just a punch, right? Yes, it's just a punch now because why? Because I've mastered it. And he says a black belt is a master of the basics. That's what a black belt is. And so you have to think that I'm going to be a black belt in hockey. I'm going to be the master of the basics so that uh, when, when strange and weird situations happen on the ice, the basics are going to get me out of trouble where the other guy that I'm going against, and he's just been trying to do the trick shots. I'm going to pass him this time because he's not ready for that. And then my basics are going to help him. There was so a very you... famous. Oh yeah. Go, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. There's a very, probably the most famous football coach of all time uh, was back in the 1960s. And his name was Vince Lombardi and he won more than anybody. And it was because he was Mr. Basics. And in basketball, the number one coach of all time, uh, was uh, Wooden, John Wooden, and that's all he talked about. And so I I get my kids to, re to, to read Wooden and, and uh, Lombardi so they'll see that I'm not making this stuff up. up. You know, the best of the best teams of all time, they focus on the best basics. It's funny, actually. Um, I interviewed a guy who coaches Formula One drivers, and I wanted all of sort of his mental tricks and, you know, for him to share all the things that he has to do with Formula One drivers because we hold them on a pedestal that's higher uh, you know, than just a normal athlete because, you know, they're going 300 kilometers an hour around turns and just they're yeah. having to process so quickly. And the whole conversation was uh, they have to wake up in the morning and uh, write down all the things they're thankful for. Uh, they have to focus on the basics of their training. They have to try and hit their last, uh, you know, the speed that they accomplished last month before trying to push it forward. I mean, it's, just, it's like nothing fancy at all <laughs> in yeah. – Formula One driving, which is the fanciest sport of any sport yeah. and most demanding of any sport on earth. Although I think you could argue that it's the luge. Uh, and so, all right, thanks. I'm, I'm going to send the kid pack in here. He's got to eat lunch and put on some calories. But anything else you, nice that you would you, tell? Buddy. Is there anything else you would tell an athlete today? Right. So, what, what are the cultural challenges you see for athletes today that have changed? From when you were coming up to the system, I mean, right? Because you think about it now, they have Instagram, they have Netflix, they're they have distractions. They're know-it-alls. Yeah. 
They yeah. they think they've arrived. You know, yeah. they they're ripe. You know, and the next the step after ripe is rotten. You know, you have to always stay green. Green. In fact, I've been a professional speaker for coming up 20 years. Okay, uh, just a couple of months, and I'm about to do my first TED talk. And um, and they have a couple of coaches that are you know speaking coaches that were running through it, and I it, I welcome that right. I'm thinking great, you know I'm going to get some more coaching. It's going to hopefully take me to the next level. And uh, many speakers might say, hey, I've been doing this for 20 years. How long have you been speaking professionally? Well, but they they're going to teach me the nuances right, or remind me of things that I may have forgotten. So yeah, I'm always looking for somebody that can. Take me to the next level. I mean, What's that's, thank, that's yeah my secret so, to success? You know, it's not. A, yeah, it's who you surround yourself with. Um, I'll, I'll send you an email. I mean, uh, uh, an article, and I'll hook you up. I know some race car drivers too uh, that might be interested. Um, I, I spoke in South Africa uh, about fifteen years ago, and the guy that brought me in, he owned he owns a, a big insurance company there. And I spoke for all his people. His son was doing carts, right? Uh, racing carts. Uh, he was probably eight years old at the time. And then a couple of years ago, I'm there? speaking in Indianapolis. That's a cart racer. Yeah. Are you really? Yeah, he ah, just took third okay. just took third place in his ah. first race. So that's his other sport. Oh man, that's yeah. awesome. So, so, um, so a couple of years ago, I'm speaking in Indianapolis and I always go to the Indy 500 Speedway. I just love that museum and, and I'm shooting pictures and posting them. And, and they've moved from, since then, they've moved from South Africa to England. His dad sees my pictures and he says, hey, he's right there, okay? He's actually training. Somebody got sick and he's taking the place of somebody in a cart race uh, in, in next week and they're fitting him for his new seat. So he's sitting in this mold. So they got me into the pits and I got to see him. Now he's a grown kid, right? He's like 21 years old. I remember the little cart kid. And now he's driving these Formula One cars. I couldn't believe it. And he's, he's got a really good show on YouTube. I'm, I'm going to hook you up with that too. And because um, he, he, you know, just learn. Learn as much as you can from other people. But never think that you arrived, okay? That's um, really, that's you know, really. LeBron really James helpful. is still trying to yeah. learn. LeBron yeah. James is still trying to be better. He's the best in the world. He doesn't have to be better, but you know, his the, a champion, and we're all we can all be champions here, right? In, the, in your heart, a champion is always thinking about how can I go harder and better and faster. How can I be better than I than I was before? I'm my biggest competitor. If I can beat Ruben, man, I I'll make the Olympics. But is this a four-time Olympian in the Olympics? Any questions for him? Mm. Okay, it's a bit overwhelming. All right, mm. go ahead. You go grab your lunch. Thank you for your patience here, Ruben. Uh, oh, I'll catch you. That's great. I'm so yeah, you'll be able to watch that kid on Formula One here uh, in about in about twenty five million dollars. Years. Well, I don't yeah, mean I years. I just go by dollars. Store. Yeah, in twenty five million dollars, you'll be able to watch him in Formula One. All right. So, so let I want to dig in here. Uh, I watched some of your videos. And you read a lot of the books that I read coming up through business when there wasn't Instagram, when there wasn't hustle culture, when there wasn't new to YouTube and really books was the only way you could get knowledge. And I heard you say something. You're like, if I wanted to look something up, I had to find some way to get down to the goddamn library and look it up. And so you came up through that same system. And so there was Joe Girard and Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins and Patton uh, and the John Wooden and that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. all the, motiv the, the motivational classics. 
so to speak. And I think yeah. people could argue the, you know, the new motivational classic is uh, the 5 a.m. guy on Instagram and Gary Vaynerchuk. But how, in your mind, and I view you so contemporary, I mean, you're working to get back into the Olympics. So it's not like you um, have, have accomplished something uh, uh, 20 years ago and that's all you talk about. But how has things changed in motivation? Or is it just that the oh. principles are the same? Um, the grind is the same, the goals are the same, the steps are the same, or has 20, 30, 40 years since Zig Ziglar said, you know, you need to check up from the neck up or Jim Rome, you know, <laughs> that, right? Yeah. People become smarter or so. dumber or faster. What's changed? The principles are the same. I mean, they're, I, I jokingly say, look, you read one of those books and they, they, uh, they reference somebody that, that wrote a book 20 years before that. And you just keep going back and you always end up in the same place. Proverbs, right? Because this stuff's been around forever. And so you're talking about hustle before. Yeah, hustle's important, but recovery is important too, okay? You got to recover. You know, for an athlete, getting enough sleep and getting enough recovery is just as important. For a bodybuilder, I remember reading about, you know, old books about Colombo and uh, and um, Ferrigno and, uh, and Schwarzenegger. Well, those guys sleep 12 hours a day because they're, they're just tearing their bodies apart in their workouts. And if they don't get that recovery, the body is not going to rebuild. So, so that's important. Let me – can I put so some pressure? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I've read that LeBron James sleeps 12, 13, 14 hours a day. Uh, we, mm -hmm. um, one, of our, one of my best friends sponsors some triathletes. Those kids have to sleep 15, 16 hours a day. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They need yeah, major Mondo sleep. And, and that's, you know, when they're really fully trained up, but just in their regular life, when they're training, they need 12, 14 hours of sleep. Like yeah. That's all they do. Eat, sleep, I, train. I, people think that an Olympian is supposed to look like Mr. Olympia, but we, uh, we, we train muscle specific, right. To the muscles that we're going to need. And right now these days, there's, they don't even want me to lift weights. I said, no, you need to do yoga, man. You're too stiff from sitting in that, you know, your desk writing books all these years. And so um, it's totally different from what people think. Let me let me put some pressure on you. I, I'm, well, I'm just getting a note here from my producer, which says, I'm just reading on the screen. Oh, hey, motherfucker, this is a business show. Oh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> I, I want to sort of take the language over uh, or, or the, the ideas over to business for a moment. And, and ask you a tough question. So in sports and in luge, I watched some of your videos. You're crashing four out of five rounds, right? Or three out of five rounds, you're crashing. And that is a signal to your body, to your psychology, to your mental, to your whole system. Like we got to get out of this state. This is, a, this is an extreme danger, fight or flight, your crocodile brain, your your lymph system, your ancient uh, uh, neural right. pathways, everything about you says, I got to get out of this highly dangerous, bodily injurious state into something that's better. Now, and you, and you went through that experience and you did. So maybe you, for people who don't know that story, maybe you can tell that so they can understand what I'm referring to, that version of the story. But if you're an accountant, if you're a computer programmer and you're failing, I guess my supposition is it doesn't put you in this extreme state of both mental and physical 
fear or panic or motivation to change. So is are these are these mm. high achieving frameworks come because of the physiology and we don't have a model for accountants. So uh, I'll just finish my thought is so I turn in a TPS report or I turn in an audit. It has some errors in it. I don't get my bonus. The client complains about me. I'm, I'm not rising with my peers in the company. So these are frustrations, you know, but I'm still making $95,000 a year. You know, I, I vacation in the Caribbean. Um, I buy my girlfriend, you know, uh, exotic Christmas gifts. And I'm really not feeling any physical pain. I'm just sort of not achieving at my full potential. Can I just, I'd be very interested to have you reflect on it. I'm not saying you have mature thoughts on it, but when you're not experiencing physical demands towards change, uh, wh wh where does that put us on the other side of the balance sheet where we're just in a mental or business environment? I white knuckled it for 25 years. I, I got late. I got started so late that I was scared. I was I wanted to quit after every run, and I'd pick up the walkie-talkie because walkie-talkies talk to the coach, and he he get me focused again, right? He 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 paint that picture of the opening ceremonies. He get me focused on the on the dream and not on the. But he also told me what I needed to fix, and it wasn't until and I'm not even sure if I'm answering this question for you, but I want to run this by you, and I think it's going to lead somewhere good. Um, couple of years for the my last uh, Olympics, uh, Vancouver, when a coach told me, I can't believe you're still scared after all these years. I mean, what's going yeah. on in your head? And I told him, man, as I go see those walls going faster and faster, I get tighter and tighter. I'm surprised I can't even steer at the bottom of the track. And he said, luge is not even about speed, okay? It's about who has the best time, all right? You need to put a blinder like a horse. You're, you're just going to focus on a spot 30 feet in front of you, and your mindset's, what do I need to do in the next – you know, in every section of every uh, curve to ensure I'm going to have the best lines going to lead to the best time. OK, uh, the walls don't look at them because they're, they're hurting. You. And so that night I did about 100 mind runs, visualization runs with blinders on. The next day I go take a run and the fear disappeared. OK, changing the focus changed the whole the, the whole experience. Right. It didn't reduce. I mean, it just disappeared. And people are focusing on the economy now and they're focusing on COVID and they're focusing on bad news. And uh, they, everybody's got that stuff, okay? So don't don't watch the news. That's what I tell them. I tell them, hey, uh, stop watching the news. Give your competitor a, a, a subscription to a USA Today. Let them get all depressed, right? And you, your new focus is, what do I need to do in the next 15 minutes to move my business forward? Who do I need to call? Maybe it's a follow-up. Maybe it's strengthening a relationship. So, uh, and, but, but one thing, I'm, I'm triggered. I'm tr sorry to talk over you. Uh, it's just the connection. It's like talking to your grandmother in Italy. Where, where you start saying something and then she starts saying something and then grandma, can you hear me? Yeah. You're looking but, thin. You're looking thin. Okay. I'll give you some more <laughs> All right. One thing that I'm triggered by is you said, Hey, you'd, you'd come down and you'd pick up the, the radio and you talk to your coach. Right. But now just picture in your mind, a, you know, a, a junior uh, associate at an accounting firm. You know, he gets maybe once a quarter a 360-degree review from a manager or a manager above him. You know, he doesn't sort of be, turn in an audit and then uh, 
or, you know, not even turn in an audit, complete a spreadsheet, send it in. And then somebody calls me on the phone and say, Hey, look, you know, here's where we are. This could be the improvement. So that, that, that coaching that you get in physical environments is amazing. Right. But what about for the rest of us who might not get any feedback except for every 30 or 90 days or six months? What you, I, I would say, you know, we're screwed. I understand this, this we're screwed from, from, from stage. Okay. I'll say, you know, I want to be promoted from four time Olympian to five time Olympian. OK. Uh, and so first thing I did is I called my coach. I says, you know, is it possible? He says, absolutely. OK, let's put on let's put together a game plan. And so if any of you guys want to be promoted, right, or stay, stay, not get fired, right? But really, if you want to get promoted, well, it behooves you to tell your boss, tell him, hey, I'd really like to be promoted. Okay, let's put together a, a game plan, see if I can make it happen. What do I need to do? Can we meet every two weeks? Can we meet every, you know, every other, you know, once a month, whatever, because I need feedback and I need a coach. I need somebody. Just the fact that you're saying that, that puts you to the top of the list because now they're looking at you at least, right? <laughs> and you're asking for coaching. Uh, I tell young people, like, not as young as your son, but, you know, teenagers, I'll tell them, look, you got to find somebody that's already done what you want to do. And when you find them, don't ask them to be your mentor, okay? That's like somebody asking a girl to marry you on the first date. Doesn't work very well. But just ask them, hey, tell them, look, I've always wanted to do what you want to do, what, what you've done. And could we just get some coffee or, or you know, sit, sit down for a Coke? And can I just... Can you give me some guidance? Can you give me some tips? And come with some questions, right? Bring one of these things full of questions. And at the end of the hour, tell them, could you give me a, uh, some homework, right? Can you, what do I need to do next uh, to earn uh, the opportunity to meet with you again next month, right? So now they know that, number one, you want to be like them. You want to learn. There you go. Said, yeah. I'm going to talk and to Ruben Gonzalez. I better write down some, some things I want to know. person, too. Yeah, yeah, how about that? So, and you're an action person. That that's going to impress them. That's going to show them that you're not an eternal learner. You're somebody's going to make it happen. And so, um, that, I would tell that guy, don't wait till that quarterly. You know, uh, you can change the rules. You can call them up and ask them. Why not? What's the worst going to happen? Yeah, a hundred percent agreement. I saw, um, I saw you had a panic attack when I started swearing, uh, and then you, you know, you all. <laughs> I'm always, I'm Mr. Reed, rated G. <laughs> but but the, the reason I say that is, does that tie in to any way of, you know, sort of what to say to yourself, um, you know, how to talk to yourself? So I saw you read that book. I'm, I'm not that familiar with it, but how would you update that? Or for somebody who doesn't know that material at all, I think that is a bigger issue for people today because Instagram uh, sort of gives you some motivational philosophies, wake up early, hustle, surround yourself with good people, you know, have a plan, make some effort. Uh, and, and still there's a lot of failure around. So I think the two pieces are missing that you've added. One is find somebody who's done specifically what you want to do, not find somebody who is become incredibly wealthy and you want to become wealthy, but find somebody who's done the next step that you're going for. Like I know I talked to Nathan Mirvald, who was one of the founders of Microsoft, right? And that helped mm. me uh, incredibly in the amount of zero because, it, you know, I'm not founding <laughs> Microsoft, right? Uh, you know, he's just a guy with $14 billion, um, which, you know, sounds good to me, but that's, he doesn't actually know anything about the next steps that I'm going to take. It's a lot like a pro athlete, you know, uh, many times an athlete, they, you know, they book them to be a, 
a speaker, they don't even know how they got good because they never read all those books. They just followed their coach and they, you know, it was progressive. Or they stayed yeah. in the game long enough, they got good, but they don't know how. So many times, and then they, and then they, uh, the book, the, the coach gets fired and they promote this guy to, uh, you know, <laughs> to coach, right? Or to uh, uh, sales manager, top salesman. Now a sales manager doesn't have a clue how to, why, why he's good, right? So, 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 so talk, talk, talk to us then about what to say to yourself, because I think that's a piece you added is surround yourself with somebody who's done what you're going to do specifically in the business here. And I totally agree with that. That makes the hustle and to have a plan and surround yourself with good people and wake up early and work hard and don't give up and think big and strive for accomplishment and, you know, all, all those things. But without the having a real human who knows the nuances of what you're going to do, that's important. But then I, I, I this is not an error. Like, Motivation is not an area that I cover. I do very well um, because most of people come to me motivated, right? Because they want a hundred million dollars yeah. and like that's self-editing. And I don't try to motivate them either, you know, because that's, that's, yeah. that's me pushing. I just try through my, my goal is to take their excuses away. You know, my goal is uh, uh, I want them walking out of my talk thinking, man, if that guy can make it to the Olympics, I can do anything. And now they're ready to face those fears that are holding them back and, Maybe it'll take a little bit more action and they'll start getting better results. That's well, all right, motherfucker, let's, let's try this out. I'm, um, the, the, uh, my other peers, you know, in my industry just are just, they're just much smarter than I am. I mean, I hear them talk. They're, they're sharp. They've had these experiences. A lot of them went to Harvard and MIT and Stanford. And I just feel like it's hard for me to really get to the front of the field because they're smarter than I am. <laughs> you don't need to have a degree, right? Jobs and Gates and Dell, all these guys, man, you have proven that a degree is not a prerequisite to, to uh, building a huge business, right? And so don't let lack of education hold you back. So I always, my favorite biographies, my dad got me to read biographies when I was a kid. My favorite ones were people that had to overcome challenges to reach their goals. Why? Because it gave me hope, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody told Patton he couldn't, there's no way he's going to move those armies so fast. And he said, watch me, right? And he did it. And Helen Keller, right? And the uh, and uh, Ford, Ford, he had all his engineers were telling him that you couldn't uh, uh, build a an, an eight uh, cylinder engine in one block. And they said, okay, so you have six months to do it. I love that. Let me keep working on it. So I have a, um, from, from working out in CrossFit and being involved with the seals and Navy seals here next door, uh, I got a back injury and I had a surgery and it's just, uh, I can't, it's very hard to work out and it's just going so slow and I, I just can't compete at the level you know, the other guys who haven't had the surgery. You can't, well, you got to, you know, you do as much as you can. Okay. Uh, I'm never going to tell you that you can do everything. You know, if you're five foot two and you weigh 300 pounds, chances are you can't dunk a basketball. Okay. Uh, unless you're a deadlift, uh, uh, you know, champion, right? Because those guys have huge legs, but uh, so you can't do anything. But, but you can do something, right? And I'm sometimes coming up on the Olympics when I'm speaking, especially in uh, in the old days when it was live, I uh, do some Q&A and somebody would ask me, are you going to win the gold medal? And I'm, I'm telling them, man, I'd be happy to make the cover of AARP, okay? I'm, I'm 
for me, I'm happy to play with the big boys, okay? That's my gold medal, marching in the opening ceremonies. <laughs> and, and, and it's true. I mean, uh, a lot of people's planes have got to go down for me to win the gold medal. <laughs> so, so it's just not, you know, you go, you do your best and you set a goal that excites you, that, that inspires you to do what it's going to take to reach it, and then you get the job done. So I totally agree with you. I just, I want to tell you where I think I see people ending up is it's very hard to maintain this sense of accomplishing small things, moving forward in, in small things, in the la improving on yesterday's performance in getting to yeah. the end of the day with poise and grace, with happiness of what I nailed down today, knowing that yeah. in, in, in 10,000 years, it won't matter. And what just really matters is that, uh, I did my best. I worked my hardest. I loved the people around me. Um, I, I held my commitments. I was loyal to my team. I came with focus and I did the best I could. And holding that down and also at the same time thinking big, I'm the best. I, I can be the best. I the, these even though I'm not, I'm just doing the best I can, I can and I'm not really making progress, measurable progress towards this goal. And, and so this, I see this, my goals are too big. I'm not making progress towards them. They're too hard to hold in it, you know, um, uh, shine a light on at the same time. I'm just making barely keeping forward motion. And there is such a big gap between the goal of starting a company, selling a company, um, you, you know, whatever people becoming a formula one driver, getting into the Olympics today. Right. Um, and that, that these small micro movements, yes, are supposed to be moving you forward, but the big goal is so far away and managing yeah. that gap today, I feel is very stressful for people. Yeah. When we train, we do typically, we do four to six runs a day. That's it. Okay. If you do more than that, you just, you end up missing the next day because your body breaks down. So we do two or three in the morning, go have lunch, two or three in the afternoon. And we watch videos of us, right? But so to, to see what we actually did, you finish our run coach. My coach is a three time Olymp, four time Olympian, three time world champion from Austria. Ruben, you must relax. Ruben, point, point your toes, put your head for the back. Ruben, have fun. Be one with the sled. Quick. How are you gonna relax? You know, I'm scared half to death. He started when he was five years old. His his it's yeah. like Michael Jordan teaching you how to throw a layup, right? Yeah. It's his it's it's almost like a disconnect, right? And I get pissed off and I stamp around for a while, and especially in the old days when I wasn't ready for all that, and I'd be mad, and then I realized. And, and one thing he'd say is like curve six, you mu you're too late on curve six. You must you're harder, harder, harder on curve six. And then finally I realized I'm saying, man, nuts, man. Coach is nuts. He's right though. All my problems did start on curve six. That's when I lost control, started hitting the walls. I gotta get back on that sled. I gotta get back. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Uh, uh, I'm a champion. I'm a champion. I'm going to the Olympics. I can do it. I can do it. Sometimes I gotta. That, there's that self talk for you. Okay. Three questions later. I'm giving myself a pep talk, sometimes for 15, 20 minutes. And finally, I get to the point where I say, I will get on that sled. I'm pointing those toes, heads going back. I'm steering harder on curve six and look out. I'm in my best run ever, 
right? It's kind of like the anger and the courage kicks in after you start giving yourself a pep talk, but you got to do it. So then I go up uh, and it's about an hour, right? So I got 20 minutes now to kill. So I'll get on my parka. I, I walk down to the coaches. There are usually two or three coaches at the toughest parts where we're having problems. And, and, and now we're watching the Italians and the Germans go by. See, you steer, started steering here and you started, he started steering there. You started steering two feet too early. Are you kidding, coach? I could barely see the, the, the curve, two feet. I mean, but he, now he's giving me a visual, right? And then tonight when we're watching it on, on, on the, you know, on the screen, I actually see it. And I said, I got a visual. It's more, more, more input. And we do that constantly. And then at night, we spend about an hour working on our sleds, taking all the, all, all, all the uh, micro uh, scratches off of it so we can be fast tomorrow. And on Friday, before the rice race on Saturday, we go, we do all of that, plus about five uh, grades of, uh, of, of diamond paste. And going, putting this through that, time, that, that, that process, through all these tracks, hopefully we'll be a, a tenth of a second faster next year. <laughs> a tenth of a second, but, but that's what you got to do, right? It's, it's that incremental. And I don't know what it is with other people, but for me, what gets me going or I guess what keeps me going, I don't want to regret anything when I'm old, okay? And so, so I remember I did Alberville. I, I, did, yeah. I, did, I did Calgary and Alberville. Then I quit. I was done. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to get near a loose sled the rest of my life. And coach calls me five years before Salt Lake City. He goes, U.S. Olympic spirit is the best. You must come back, right? Luge needs Argentina. They were low on numbers. That was what they were calling me. But anyways, <laughs> and I said, no, thanks, coach. Thanks for no thanks. Click. And he calls back and he keeps, and he says, you regret it. Because he competed in, in Lake Placid. So he knew the U.S. Olympic spirit. It's, you're a rock star for two weeks, okay, when, when you do an Olympics in the U.S. And so, and he says, you regret it, Ruben. And when he said the R word, that's all I needed to hear. It's like, I don't want to regret it. I came back. And so when I found out a couple of months ago that I have a shot for Beijing, that I have a shot to become the first person to ever do five, Olymp five winter Olympics in five different decades and be the first, uh, the oldest ever, because the oldest winter Olympian now is from the 1924 Olympics, a Swedish curler, okay? Uh, but I would be older on the luge, right? So I'm, gonna, I'm willing to give it what it takes, give it all I got, let the chips fall where they may, because I can't control that. I can only control what I'm going to do. And and then whether I make it or not, I won't have regrets because I wasn't I, giving it everything. It's, it's amazing. That's what keeps me going. I want, I want to tell you something a little bit awkward, but I love you. <laughs> you <you're>, <laughs> <laughs> I love you. You're, you're so good. By the way, if you see those curlers, just tell them. Warren Claff said that if, if you can't get injured, it's not a sport. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. You know, All right. well, two things like I give luge a buy, but generally if you, if you, if you can't get injured and you're not there to impede somebody else's progress, then it's not <laughs> sport. So sorry, tennis, not real sport. golf, but luge, uh, because you can get injured so dramatically, I do give it a pass on the, uh, impeding somebody else's progress. Cause that would just be very chaotic. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. I, um, uh, so, Take me here. What was the, I mean, your, your credentials are impeccable and amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'd like to, and, and hopefully it doesn't take you somewhere that you don't want to be, but what was your most down? Can you share with us your most down shittiest lowest moment? What was way down there? You don't have to. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
what was way down there and then how did you get out of it? Yeah, and maybe I can give you two, but let's start with this one. About a year and a half before the Salt Lake City Olympics, I'm, I'm racing in St. Moritz in Switzerland. And um, that year, the Italians were the best. We're training in the morning, they were training in the afternoon. And so I would go to, I remember I went to Curve 13. I was just trying to tweak it. I wasn't having any big problems, but I just want to see what the Italians were doing. And when you watch Luge on TV, I mean, even I change channels. I mean, it's boring to me. But live, when you're, you know, so close to so much speed, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's like an adrenaline rush just watching it. And so, phew, this Italian goes by. I go, man, I can't believe I do that. I can't believe I do that. I did that for two hours. By the way, guys, that's a bad uh, self-talk, okay? The next day, when I get to that curve, I'm sliding. When I get to the curve, the mine, right, just told me, that's right, you can't do that. And I didn't steer, right? I'm going about 80 by that point of the track. I remember I hit the top of the curve. I hit the bottom. Last thing I remember, I'm flying through the air, doing kind of like a cartwheel. And uh, that's really bad luge position, by the way, guys, okay? I see the sled is smashing into pieces above me, right? Because I've, I've flown in front. And I'm a little straight away. And if that thing hits me, I'm a dead man. So I just did a Greg Luganis. I just dove to the side. I figured whatever's out there is softer. I don't know what I hit. I broke my hand. I broke my foot. The sled's totaled. And so I, I got into a pity party for three days. That's my record. Okay. And I, it wasn't until halfway over the hold Atlantic on, hold going on. back home. Hold on. You don't get to just say I was in a pity party for three days. Uh, what, what was way down there? What was down there at the bottom? Down there, man, it's all over. I quit. Man, it's not fair. Life's not fair. Why did this happen to me? You know, all this uh, BS, right? Not, not taking responsibility and, and feeling like a victim. It's just BS. It is. And so I just got down, right? And I'm just mm, mad, right? Because I'm mad because I'm mad at myself and I'm mad at my bad luck. And I'm, I'm mad that I can't afford another sled and the Olympics are coming. And so I'm down. So I'm halfway over the Atlantic flying back home. I got my head straight. I, I, I realized, hey, I've broken bones before. You know, you wear a cast for a month, month and a half, six weeks, and then it's healed up and stronger than before. So it's, that's just a temporary inconvenience. But tomorrow I'm going to the gym. I don't care. I'm, at least I'm going to the gym, right? Just get back on the horse. And, okay, I can't afford another sled. Maybe I can borrow a sled, right? So I started thinking about solutions instead of woe is me. And so I started making a list. I'm sitting on that plane. I'm just making a list of all – all my luge buddies that I'm going to call as soon as I get home, see if I can borrow a sled. And Adam Cook from New Zealand, uh, he lent me his sled. He's a short guy. His sled's way too small for me. But, hey, it's better than sliding on your butt. And so I, I, I used his sled, and uh, that's what I used to qualify for the Salt Lake City Olympics, and that's what I used to race in, in Salt Lake. So you got That's another thing I say all the time. I didn't make this up. I, I think hell, might, this might be a Helen Keller or it might be a – uh, Roosevelt lady, I forgot her name. Uh, uh, lady Bird. No, it was Johnson. Anyways, do what you can with what you have today. Okay, just do what you can with what you have today. If you just do that, you'll move forward. Okay, let because your competition, let them make excuses and mistakes. And do what you can. Do it. No whining. And so I got my head. So I was one of them. The other one. We go to the Olympics. We get seven runs. The, we, the, the week before the Olympics actually open, they open on Friday. We come in, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we get a total of seven runs to try to figure out what the track's doing. So it changes. Just like Formula One, the track changes. And so we got to figure out our game plan. What, what, kind of we were evil, in, what kind of evil sorcery is that? 
you know, like in, I understand Formula One, you have four tires, you have, you know, radar, you have GPS, you have a team, you have cars going before you, you know, you're on pavement. You know, I understand they trade, you know, um, um, you're on that track probably 15 times a year anyway. Uh, you know, up and down it, you spend an hour on the track going around and around, you know, you have, you have 60, 70 laps. But who changes a luge course? Fuck! Like, that is terrible. I know. I know. That is. I know. I know. See, know. There's not a zamboni for luge. Okay. It's made so, of ice. So terrible. Oh, no, but they change it. They change, and they'll actually, believe it or not, they'll actually. I don't think they do this at the Olympics, but at World Cup races, they will put a bump. The home, the home court guys will put a bump in somewhere on there, and they they know where it nice. is. Nice. And so everybody yeah. walks the track and we're looking for the bump, right? Because they can coach says, there it is. Okay. When you hit that bump, just be really relaxed because your legs are going to pop up, but, but, but just keep going straight and then, and then keep driving. And so you got to do your due diligence, right? And so we do that. We'd get our seven runs. Friday was going to be our last two runs. And they said, look, we're up in Whistler, two hour drive from Vancouver where the opening ceremonies are tonight. And tomorrow we're racing. Okay. Because we raced two runs on Saturday, two runs on Sunday, total time. So being good is not good enough. You have to be consistently good. First time I had a clean run was two years into doing the luge. Clean run means you didn't even brush any walls. Doesn't mean you're fast, but it's a big, big, um, uh, it, it, it's a big step, right? Uh, in your luge career. I go to coach, coach, I had a clean run. He doesn't even crack a smile. I go, coach, I had a clean run. He goes, good. Now you know it's possible, <laughs> but good is not good enough. Four in the Olympics. Ah, oh, come on, coach. Give me a little smile. Nothing. I mean, this guy's he's like Patton. Okay, he really is. And so they told us as soon as you finish your last run and uh, get yourself dressed up, because there's gonna be buses picking you up to take you to the opening ceremony. So no time to waste. So I'm I'm ready to go. I just finished my my last run, and we're watching Nodar from the country of Georgia. He's coming in, and we're watching him. We're at the finish where you, where you, where you, where your sled ends up, but the um, the actual finish line is it's about a hundred yards down, so we can't really see him there. So we're just watching him on the big screen. And Nodar, 21 year old kid from Georgia, he's nailing it. Okay, and I'm sitting, I'm standing next to his his teammate Levon, and just flying. And then on curve 16, final curve, he he goes in late, doesn't correct, and then he try he goes up. And down, you start looping when you don't, right? And then he overcorrects at the end, hits the inside wall, flies into a post, dies instantly. Okay. A few hours before the opening ceremonies. Wow. First thought in my mind and everybody else on that track was I didn't know that was possible because none of us has ever seen anybody fly out of a track. Next thought, that could have been me, right? And now we're trying to process it and they're hurting us into the trucks, into the, 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 the buses, and we're heading down. And ABC, CBS, everybody wants to talk to Ruben because I'm the easy one to find, right? And it's just going on. After a while, I just shut it off. That's, I'm just still trying. And, and do I race tomorrow? Do I even march tonight? I mean, will that be disrespecting Nodar? I mean, that's, that's the main thing that was going on in my head, you know, because he actually helped me come back that time. And so we, uh, they, 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 we get there. They shove us into the stadium. We're walking in the guts of the stadium. So they got A, Argentina, Brazil, Chile. They got it lining them up. And on the inside of the stadium, they're doing the, you know, all the dancing, the opening ceremony. I'm still trying to figure out. And I'm looking, and I happen to see, look inside, you know, what was going on, the pre-show. And I see the Olympic rings, and then it got clear. I thought, man, we got to race tomorrow. He just gave his life for this, okay? I mean, we're, we just respect him if we don't race. And then we, you know, we marched. 
and then we'd race the next day. You know, you just do what you got to do. But that was, those two were my lowest ones, you know, one for me and one for the, for someone else. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't mean to take you back into uh, down the wrong part of memory lane. Just really quickly, mm-hmm. and then I have a question for you, and I know you're getting the hook on time. Uh, what Highest moment, just just the biggest memory of your entire career. So, you know, are the biggest moments the true you know, reaching the summit? Or when you think back, is you know, is the biggest moment when – you didn't quit. I mean, what, what were, you know, how do you think about the biggest high? Opening ceremonies in Calgary was amazing because, you know, that was the first one, right? Calgarians are so happy people, right? They're just very friendly and it, it was a big party over there. Um, so that was, Ruben, that was Ruben, it's supposed to be, I got on orange podcast, you know, I couldn't believe it. I was so, I never thought I would get on it. Highlight of my life. Oh, sorry, I blew it. Uh, We should have talked beforehand. That was my second. A close second, Orrin. I tell you, I was going to say, man, uh, just being on the stage, my gosh. I mean, I've gotten to share the stage with with Zig Ziglar 25 times over the years in big arenas. Oh, that's that's nothing. I'm here with you, buddy. No, 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 don't. Uh, so, (laughs) so, so, So take us to that larger than life moment, right? Um. And, and I've had some larger life moments. I mean, I, the first time I got on stage, there were five, 6,000 people in front of me. It was super scary. My arm was like, I was like, why is my arm move? You become hyper self-conscious, you know? And you're like, my, what do I do with my arm? It's just really? like sitting down here, like, arm, do something. And I'm like, and, and, and just you're, you're, so when you get up on that stage at Calgary, you have the attention of the world on you in that special way, because, you know, what, what, it's just joy. It's just like you just feel so happy. It's like giddy, you know. Uh, for two weeks, everybody's walking in the Olympic Village. I mean, everybody's walking with a silly grin on their face, you know. It's, now, it's, he- it's, okay. It's- now, hear me out. I work in an accounting firm. I am ne- There's no award ceremony. There is no <laughs> gathering of the peoples. ABC News is not going to come interview me. I and I think about this all the time because you have that oxytocin, right, which is released in your blood when you're on a team sport. We have some some team players here, professional soccer players, and you know my son is uh, uh you know on the San Diego Gulls and that kind of thing. You have this oxytocin which releases and it gives you these highs from being on a team or being part of a big effort and winning, you know, or or, or being part of an accomplishment. And it feel, but when you're an accounting firm and then you go to the gym and do some you know CrossFit and then you go home and watch something Netflix and and then the next morning you wake up again. Like where where can it ever come from? If you're not an and, athlete, I don't know, but part of it for it was relief too. You know, I, uh, when you were asking me the question, I was thinking, which one am I going to tell them? Opening yeah. ceremonies, but I, another moment was just a, a a couple of months before I get this call from Argentina because I had to pioneer the sport. Okay, I was going to be the first one to actually the second one, but they don't they didn't even have a luge federation in Argentina because nobody does the luge. Okay, so I could be the best in the world. But if they don't, if they don't have a federation in place that belongs to the Argentine Olympic Committee and to the International Luge Federation, I can't play. All right, and so, so here I'm breaking bones the first four years, and I'm and, and nothing's happening, and I can't 
I can't start competing internationally to even try to qualify unless they get their act together. So we're sending them all kinds of reports from the, the U.S. coaches are, oh, this guy's great. You got to let you got to do it. And finally, they just added luge to the ski federation. That's a, that, that that's how they did that. Uh, so I get this call in December. I'd already qualified, but I didn't even know if they're going to send me. OK. And I get this call. And by now I'm starting to the Olympics are in February. I'm starting to get scared. Right. And uh, I get this call and the, the guy say, the guy says, what's your shoe size? What's your pant size? What's your, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going, right? They want my uniform size, right? And nothing fit, but it didn't matter. And so that, boy, I got goosebumps everywhere. So I guess that was more important uh, when I got the call. So it wasn't about the, the fans and look at me. It was like, oh man, it's like, a, I felt similarly when I graduated from college and, and, and from, from high school, it was like, from high school, I thought, oh, no more tests. I don't know why I said that because college was coming. But after after college, I, I still, oh, no more tests. You know, so terrible at tests. No, I think so that the I relief think it's and happiness combination. Yeah, there's 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 other wins, um, and it's amazing that your dad left you this massive trust fund. You know, and you were able to fund your career <laughs> uh, through all these riches. Um, you know <laughs> that I know he was a software mogul. But what about normal people? <laughs> right. No, my dad was a chemical engineer. I mean, he always supported everything I did, all my harebrained schemes. He was he was behind me, right? And which is great. And uh, my mom helped me learn how to dream. Uh, she said, "Look, your great grandparents left everything behind in Italy to come to Argentina because back then, turn of the century, it was the U.S. and Argentina were the two rich countries. So Southern Europe mostly." went to Argentina and Northern Europe, went to the U.S. And then we left everything in the 60s because, you know, it was getting really bad in Argentina. We left, you know, took a big chance, came to the States, you know. And, and so she would teach me how we're dreamers, right? And we're willing to trade uh, something, you know, un, you know, trade something good for something for the possibility of something better. There's no guarantees, but we're, we're going to go for it. And um, we lived in Houston because I was an oil brat, you know, being my dad, being a chemical engineer, we're in Houston most of my life. I couldn't stand the heat. I just couldn't stand the heat. And uh, moved to Colorado uh, about uh, 10 years ago, and it's heaven now. I mean, so I wish I wish my great, great grandparents had just moved to Colorado Springs, you know, 150 years ago. We'd all save some time. But my mom taught me how to dream. And my dad was the engineer that said, this is how you're going to get there. He, he helped me with a plan. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, and, and so, yeah, you don't, money actually can be a negative equation. Uh, you know, sometimes I say my son would starve, you know, if we didn't come home with a fridge and cabinet full of food, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody to go cook him dinner. Uh, uh, he's a good yeah, kid. No, but, I find yeah. myself um, uh, scrambling now. I'm trying to raise seventy thousand bucks in the next six weeks to. Uh, All right, well, let's figure happen. out. Otherwise, let's figure out how to help you. No bucks, let's figure out no how to help you. Give us, give us one thing, uh, and then I'm going to point everybody in your direction. Give me the Ruben Gonzalez wake up and the routine or the next steps or the things that happen. Eyes pop open. It's a new day. I know you grab on your phone, you doom scroll on Instagram, you know, for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, you text memes to a bunch of your friends. Um, you check the news to see what's happening in Afghanistan. And then um, uh, you uh, take a long, hot shower. And what's next? Did I get all that right? Oh, yeah. 
boy, you, you, <laughs> you've been putting uh, spy cameras in my house. No, no, I, uh, no. Uh, uh, hardly ever watch the news. Uh, I've got a friend. I used to tell him, look, across the street, Francis, look, if the Nazis are taking over again or or or, or, a, or a hurricane's coming because we lived in Houston, you got to let me know, man, because I, I am clueless because I don't watch the news. We're never taking the news, right? They make money two ways. Make you mad, make you scared. Neither of which are good for business. So so lay off of that. So um, uh, I um, – Eyes pop I, open. I, 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 Eyes pop open. Eyes pop over. I, I, I work out. And my workout now is just follow the coaches, yoga stuff, stretching. I mean, Hold on. You don't get to do that. Eyes pop open. Do that. The clothes are somewhere else. There's coffee. There's food. There's wives and kids. Like, what really happens? What happens? I get up. I'll go. I feed the dogs. I, I, I make myself a cup of coffee. I go downstairs to my office. I start, you know, just a stretching workout. And then I... Uh, I, I read a little bit, right? Or I hardly ever listen. I'm more of a reader. I'll just pick up a book from my bookcase, right? Something good, you know, something fun, positive. And then I just hit it. I go to work and I'm trying to get the next gig, right? I'm, a, I'm in sales. I'm a professional speaker. That means, uh, you know, if you're a professional speaker, <laughs> you're probably broke, okay? And so I'm not in the speaking business. I'm in the marketing Rubens speaking services business. Big difference. So I'm just, you know, making calls, calling, you know, and, uh, and trying to book stuff and, and, uh, trying to figure out ways to help my clients, you know, hit their goals faster. Uh, and you know, maybe there's a way, a win-win how, how we can work together. And so that's what I do. And then, and then it, uh, in between we homeschool our kids, right? So in between, you know, my, we'll, we'll do stuff with my kids. I and mean, I always told how them, give me 90 minute chunk. How old is uh, our daughter's 21. She's a senior in college in Chicago now. And our son, he's 16. He's gunning for the Air Force Academy. He wants to be a fly jets and be an engineer. And he, I think he's going to do it. He's got, you know, he's top notch. And well, so um, ever since they were little, I would tell them, look, you get no interruptions for 90 minutes. Okay. Because I learned this from Edison, 90 minute chunks work on one thing. And so after 90 minutes, you got me for 30. We can do whatever you want. We play games. We whatever but then i need another one if i can get four of those 90 minute chunks in the day i had a pretty good day because it was 40 you know four very focused uh chunks of time so that's that's a ruben day usually you know and uh, that's what i do if i'm traveling you know you try to work some of that stuff in but travel kind of throws everything you know out of whack and uh and now um i i just got off the phone with this big big big, big corporation. And it looks like there's a chance we might be doing, putting something really big together uh, where, where it might take a, care of a big chunk of this, uh, of the 70 Great. Well, when we get then, off Dion for a second, maybe I know them and I can put in a good word and, uh, you know, nudge them forward or know thanks. somebody who Thank knows you. somebody, but I know you made a bunch of new Thank fans you. here today. That's, that's for sure. You're an incredible person with very straightforward, uh, very precise in the way you think. Uh, just, just, I mean, the word is not even positive i think that's just minimizes how you've structured your mind in so many layers to protect yourself from getting anywhere distant from your goals and objectives it's just really incredible to hear you talk and and break down some of these experiences you've had but also how you think about things in the moment i really appreciate you sharing that and if anybody you know stayed through this and listened to how you put your thoughts together and how you structure your thinking in your mind. I know they'll improve their lives demonstrably just from hearing you 
and uh, and I can see why companies want you to come speak to them. I was also trying to get that gig, by the way, um, but I can see why they said, hey, uh, you know, we're considering some other speakers and I found one a little bit better than you, Oren, so no. Um, but <laughs> I do, uh, I'm getting the hook on time. Where do we go to support you if we're listening to this? Oldest. I'm trying to become the oldest winter Olympian. So how about oldest Olympian? dot com oldestolympian.com it's a gofundme but it's you're gonna get something back you can get something pretty cool back uh, so um hopefully you can even get your picture on my sled and we we can ride together in beijing that's one of the things you can get and uh, amazing so go oldestolympian.com hey Orin, that was fun come visit me in colorado springs sometime okay? i'd love to do that ruben thank you very much uh we're gonna wrap up here like this leave your comments go to oldestolympian.com and wait, did I get that right? Yeah, oldestolympian.com. Yeah. Oldestolympian.com. For a minute, my mind was like oldest and best olympian.com, but it's just oldestolympian.com. Head over yeah. there. I'm going to go over there. Thank you very much for being here today, and we will see you next time. Thanks again, Ruben. Take care, man. Good being you. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening, and be sure to stay tuned for more great content from Oren Claff. If you want to get daily insights and additional assets, go to orinclass.com slash daily and sign up for a seven-day trial of The Daily Dealmaker. See you next time.